Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for the opportunity you give us to study your word. Father, I pray that you would allow your spirit to speak through me, Lord, and that, Father, we would remember, Lord, that you are the, the source, that you are the one who blesses, that you are the one who shows us your life. Father, here we do, here we stand before you, Lord, knowing that you are the Savior, the Lord of all, Lord, that our debt has been paid, Father, and the victory has been won at the cross. Father, thank you once again. We pray to you, Lord. Amen. All right, guys, I know some of you might be surprised that I'm up here. You know, Eric asked me to be able to share the word, and here I am. I mean, I'm excited to see what God has in store for us. I mean, one of the things that, as we look through the Bible, um, the Bible is basically a, you know, uh, it's, oh, the Old Testament is written as a story, as stories that they were told, passed from generation to generation. You know, we have a book now, but back then it was mostly written word, and then they started writing it. But it was just that story. So today we want to look at uh, Genesis 28, which is uh, Jacob's walk. There you go, Ben. Uh, Jacob's walk and one of the things that, that, that we do with my wife is uh, we counsel people or help people walk with people and one of the things we tell guys is like we're not professional counselors but one of the things I, I do tell guys is hey I'll walk with you through through what you're going through. That's kind of like I want to do today. Let's walk with Jacob and see what was going on in his, in his life at this time. So if we open our Bibles to Genesis 28, and we're going to pick up on verse 10. If I find it. And we're going to go to the end of the passage. So I'll read it. It says, uh, Jacob 28, starting at verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid it down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Amen. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Surely in the morning, I mean, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, for the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again into my father's house in peace, 
Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. Amen. So here we have, again, Jacob. We study a little bit about him, his story. Right now, he's, this is right after uh, Jacob or Isaac blesses him. I think we, uh, we've been talking about that following the passage. Isaac, if you remember, Jacob now is on the run because he has uh, deceived his brother. And his brother, in, his brother ends up saying, once my father dies, in Genesis 27, 41, he said, the days of mourning of my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Esau is looking to kill Jacob because he deceived him. Remember uh, earlier on we saw that he, uh, when he was uh, coming back from hunting, he said, oh, I'm going to die, just give me food. And Jacob st starts uh, negotiating and takes the, the firstborn right. And he said, hey, will you sell me your birthright? He said, sure, here it is. And then secondly, we have when uh, Isaac is going to bless his son, and Jacob and or Rebecca and Jacob make a plan and they say, hey, if you do this, he'll bless you. And we have that story. And then after that, Esau comes in, talks to Isaac, and Isaac said, oh, I'm done. I, I, already, I already blessed your brother. And he says, I'm going to kill him. And this is where Jacob is. Now, now his mother comes up with a plan and says, your brother's going to kill you. You need to go to Haran. You need to go to my uh, brother's house and get a wife and, and, and so your brother doesn't kill you. Let his anger go down and then come back. And that's where Jacob is now. He is headed towards, away from his family, away from the place. And the Bible says that he, um, that, that Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. The interesting part about Beersheba, Beersheba is the place of covenant. Even if you look at the definition of the word, it, it, it's, it's that place where uh, Abraham made a covenant with Abimelech. So it became a place of, of, of a covenant. And the name of it, it says, that is the everlasting God. So you've got to imagine Jacob. He's home. I mean, I think one of the best places for a lot of us is home. That place where we find comfort, rest, safety, security, you know, or should be that place. So this is where Jacob is. And because of his wrongdoing, or because of his own doing and decisions that he has made, now he's on the run. So he's headed from Beersheba, again, that place where it's, it's comforting, that place where it's a home, that place where everlasting God is, now he's headed to Haran. One of the interesting parts about Haran, Haran means it is a parched place, it's a place to be burned, melted, dried up. You know, it's to show or incite passion, to be angry, uh, to burn, to, to dry up, to, 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 and that's the place where he's headed. So if you looked at his journey, you know, he's at his father's house. You know, and, and if you remember, he was his mother's favorite. So he's at a place where he's comfort, he has comfort, he has relationship with his parents. He's in a good place. You know, I think one of the things that Eric's been teaching, how these guys weren't just them and their family in their, in their tents. These guys had a lot. You know, they were a, 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 a small village. When Abraham, if you remember, goes out to fight and look for Lot, I think he took 300 men that were born in his household. 
So he, they had a quite a So this is where Jacob is coming. And Jacob wasn't just one of the servants. He was one of the sons of the leader of the clan. And that's, but he, ha, he has this place of safety, this place where it's home. He probably knows everybody. Everybody knows his name. You know, he's able to be around people and be comfortable. But now you have this man who, if you remember, he desires a blessing. He knows God wants to bless him. He has this uh, idea of what he wants. But what we see in Jacob is that he continues to try to obtain that which God has promised through his own doing. You know? And I think many times uh, we try, and we know God has blessed us and God has promised something to us, but we try to manipulate and we try to turn things around and we try to do things so we could obtain that which God has given us. You know, instead of waiting and peacefully resting in God and knowing that he's going to fulfill that promise. So, And because of that, now Jacob finds himself in the run. And he's running away because of his own decision. You know, he leaves that place of covenant. He leaves that place of an everlasting God to go to a place where it's not fruitful. He's going to a place where it's basically it's a temporary place. You know, it's a place where uh, it's not home. You know, one of the things I grew up, uh, my mom, when she used to clean, she used to use pine saw. So now every time I smell pine salt, I think of home. You know? doesn't matter where you're at. You smell that and it's like, oh man, home. It just has a comforting... We don't use it at home because it's just too strong for me. I don't like it. I mean, we don't even have the little air freshers in, our, in, in the bathroom in my bedroom. Because I just... My nose is too sensitive. I'm like, I can't be smelling that all day. So, but the same with pine salt, when I smell it though, it reminds me of home. You know, that place of comfort, that place of safety. And I remember being a kid, the same thing, and, and my father coming home from work and hugging my dad, and, and you were able to get that, that, and I remember my dad's scent. You know, and it was a place of comfort. And that's what this guy is. But now he's moving along because of his, his own decisions. You know, I mean, we speak to guys, and we... I, I see how a lot of guys and a lot of people, we basically lay our bed or make our bed, and now we have to lie in it. And at that time is when we start complaining, whining, and doing all things you know, to God. Say, why you have me here, God? And we start questioning God's sovereignty, and we start going against God, and we start giving him the finger. Why do you have me here? You know, but the reason is, we're here because of decisions we've made, and that's what Jacob finds himself. He's on the run. He's leaving home. He's going to a place he doesn't know because of his wrong uh, decisions, the things that he has made. One of the things that I, you know, uh, uh, I tell my kids is, again, yeah, you could choose what to do. You know, all of us have that choice to uh, say, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that. Uh, I'd rather do this or the other. But you know what? We, can't, we don't choose the consequences. God allows the consequences, or God chooses the consequences. You know, and that's where Jacob finds himself now. You know, he's headed there because of his wrong, his wrong play. You know, it, it, I mean, all decisions have consequences. You know, all choices that we take in life have a consequence. Now, uh, and a lot of people say, oh, but I didn't choose this. Not making a choice or not making a decision is making a decision. Not taking a choice is you made your choice. 
And then you think just because you didn't pick certain things or you didn't do a certain way that life is just going to, you know. But remember the, 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 the principle that we see in the Bible constantly of sowing and reaping. You know, you sow a seed, you're going to get something. And this is where, where, where Jacob is. He's on the run, again, because he, he's going because of his wrong decision, because of things that he said. You know what? If I manipulate the situation, if I'm able to do this or that, I will be able to obtain that which God has for me. You know, sometimes I think we grow weary <clears throat> in waiting on God's timing. And then when we start doing things on our, on our own way or by our own strength, you know, and then we start getting the consequences of our own strength. We're like, man, what's going on? I thought God blessed me in this area. But the idea is just as him, you know. He, he, he did, and many times, you know, we, we blame God for the outcome. First uh, Peter 2.20 says, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure? It says, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is gracious things in the sight of God. You know, many times in our life, my mom used to have a saying uh, in Spanish, but of course I'll try to translate it. She says if the river is making noises, it's because it has rocks in it. You know, basically, hey, there's a reason why things are happening the way they're happening. And if things aren't going great, again, there is a testing of our faith, but at the same time, there's a consequences to our, our mistakes and our, and our decisions. You know? I have guys, again, call, call up and tell me, hey, Ray, I'm, I'm here, I'm there. And I always have to go back and evaluate where they've been and, and why they're doing that. And what is it? What decisions have you made? What, what brought you to this place? You know, because usually where we are is not the choice I made yesterday. The reason that I am where I am today is the choices that I've been making maybe a month, a year, a couple of, you know, <laughs> maybe even 10 years ago. When we see the projection of it, and that's what Jacob finds himself. Now, but I think the interesting part about it is that it doesn't end there. You know, we don't see Jacob get to a place and it ends there. He arrives at this place, but he's on the go. You know, you see the trajectory of his life. He's on the go. And, and it picks up on verse uh, 20, I mean... Verse 11 again, it says, And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place and slept. And I talk about a, a, a being between a, a rock and a hard place. You know, he is where he is, again, because of the choices he's made. And he is where he is laying on a rock. He comes from the comfort of his father's house to now sleeping in an open air I think he's there for a reason. But the beauty of it, and as you walk with Jacob through the through this journey, is that he's not left alone. You know, look at verse 12. It says that he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and the top it reached the heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said. And I think that's one of the, the, the beauties about, about Jacob, about his story. It, it doesn't end there. You know, many times at, 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 as you see your, your children or your friends or your own life, sometimes it's very discouraging to say, man, I wish my life was different. 
You know, I'm, I'm a dad of, of five kids. I say kids, but they're, you know, all grown up. But we see the, the, the trajectory of the lives of our children. We say, man, I wish they would have made uh, better choices. And it is easy to lose heart and to lose uh, faith. Because we, if we start, so we stop the clock there, we're like, man, they're doomed. But one of the things that we rest assured is that God is not done yet. And the same thing here with Jacob's life. God is not done. Jacob is in a journey. Jacob is walking towards somewhere. And it says, and behold, God said. You know? See, God, in spite of Jacob's situations, sets up a, com a communication line, an open line between God and him. You know, it was kind of like a, a God hotspot. You know, nowadays, people, if you see people on, we're always looking for the hotspot. You know, when, when we have people over the first, after everybody greets, uh, what's the Wi-Fi password? You know, everybody wants the hotspot. That's basically where Jacob has arrived. He's arrived at a place that it doesn't seem to have much, but it has God's presence. It says, again, the beauty is God did not abandon Jacob. Many times it's very easy for us to feel that we have been abandoned by God. Especially when I made the wrong decision, when I made the wrong choices, when I called the, the, you know, the wrong shots in my life. We find that place of uh, sleeping in a rock. We're isolated. We're no longer in the comfort of our father's house. We're no longer in the, in, in the place of safety. And we find ourselves in this open, dark desert or deserted place, sleeping in a rock. But God says, you know what? One of the things we were talking uh, yesterday is about God's long suffering is long. And that's the beauty of it. God doesn't abandon Jacob. In spite of Jacob's wrongdoing, in spite of Jacob's own decision, God still meets him there. You know? Uh, one of the things is that, you know, God, God's time to visit his people with his comfort is when we're at our most destitute of other comforts and of other comforters. I think God sometimes allows us to walk our walk as he did with Jacob to get to the place of where we realize we don't have anything or anybody else. I know my own journey, one of my friends years ago said, Ray, you get as slow as you can go when you can't go any lower but up. I think God allows our, our, our walk to be such a thing that we get to a place where we are desperate for God. You know, one of the things uh, Eric was talking about when he talked about Rebecca and her barrenness. You know, God knew Rebecca was barren. He knew Sarah was barren. But they had nowhere else to turn to but God. And that's where Jacob is. He's in the desert, running away with no one to help him, without the comfort of his father, without the safety of his home. And God meets him there. See, one of the beautiful things about God's visitation, I think, is a, is a call to repentance. Is a call to turn our hearts back to Him. I mean, many times I've, I've seen how God has, kind of like He nudged you, He's like, hey, Ray, you're going the wrong way. Hey, you're doing the wrong thing. Not to destroy us and punish us. Psalm 73 says that uh, whoever goes uh, away from God or depart from God says that God will destroy Oh, God will come after him. King James uses the word destroy. But, but, the, but the beauty is God doesn't leave us in that place of destruction. He did not leave Jacob in that place by himself. In that dark desert, he didn't leave him there. 
And I'm, he brings them to a place and he opens a communication between the heavenly places and between Jacob. And that's where Jacob is found. And when God meets Jacob, it was an invitation for relationship. It's not just that God said, you know what? I'll bring you into my house and you can stay in this little room. And that's it. No, God brings him in. God meets him. God finds him where he's at for relationship. One of the things that you see throughout the Bible is that God uh, was looking at people to call his own to be with him. He desired that relationship. And that's what God is establishing here with Jacob. Because the vision and the promise that he had given Abraham and Isaac now is for Jacob. It required God's presence. It required that relationship with God. And God knew he, he doesn't leave him. And, and he continues to speak to him. I mean, and you see many times throughout the Bible, this principle, when we find ourselves at the end of our road, God always meets us there. I think God allows that. If you look through the Bible, God allows many people that have not there. Remember Moses? Later on in, in Exodus, we, 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 we learn about Moses as we read through the Bible. Moses found himself in the desert. The, uh, King James is a great word. I like King James. It says that he was in the backside of the desert when God uh, appeared to him through the burning bush. But if you remember why Moses got there, he got there because he tried to think, take things into his own hand and fulfill God's promise in his own strength. Just as Jacob did, but God didn't leave him there. The same thing with Jonah. Remember Jonah? Where was Jonah? Not that Jonah. No, not that one. The one that got swallowed up by the big fish. He ends up there again because he's running uh, away from God in rebellion. You know, kind of like the commercials, but wait, there's more. You know, God did not leave them there. God didn't abandon them. And that's where we see this guy. God did not abandon Jacob because of his wrongdoing. I remember I grew up in a very, uh, well, let me back up. I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a I want to say regular church. But then as we got married, you know, and I met, married, and we ended up in this very legalistic, uh, strict church. Yeah, one of the things that we used to preach and believe is that if, you know, if, if something's happening, it's got it up to get to you. You're, you're being punished by God. God was like in this uh, pursuit to punish you, to ruin your day. And it was a very fearful, very performance-driven uh, church and relationship that we have with God. You know, but the, 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 the thinking, the undertone of the mentality was, we, I always was wondering, when is the other shoe going to drop? There was this sense of dread that God was out to destroy me, that God was out to get me. Especially when I knew that I was doing something wrong. But we, here we see Jacob, and throughout the scriptures we see where God goes and talks to the people. Remember the woman at the, at the well? When Jesus is talking to this woman, uh, the Samar yes. Samaritan woman? Yeah. Yes. When Jesus goes and talks to her, he doesn't condemn her. He asks questions, he interacts with her, and, and then she goes, and she goes back home, and she goes that she went and told the people and brought them back to Jesus. Again, Jesus meets us at a place that we may get to know him, have a relationship, that we may come back to him. You know, he's not with a big, long stick and say, wow, 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 you did wrong, you did wrong, you did wrong, and leaves us there. He, 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 in his eternal love and in his eternal mercy and in his long-suffering, as he did with Jacob, he sets up a communication between the heavens and us. 
Why? Because of His love towards us. And again in verse 13 we see it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, says, I will, <clears throat> says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, um, your father, the God of Isaac, in the land which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. You know, God reiterates the promise that he had made to Abraham and Isaac. He reminds Jacob of his uh, heritage. You know, remember God when He presents us up in the Old Testament and even through the New Testament, He's the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a generational God. You know, God told Abraham in Genesis 17, 17 1, He says, I am God Almighty. He tells Isaac in Genesis 26, He says, I am the God of your father Abraham. And He tells Jacob in, in this passage, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. So he's a generational God. He tells Abraham, for all the land which, I, which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. He tells Jacob, said, for to you and to your descendants I will give all this land. I mean to Isaac and to Jacob. He says, the land in which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. So God is just simply, uh, I don't want to say recycling, but he's re he is reiterating he is confirming, he is affirming the word that he had given to his father. Remember when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when he quotes the Lord, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he goes, that, that, he goes, Thou shalt hear that thou shalt not commit adultery. But Jesus said, But I say unto you, if you look upon a woman and lust, you committed adultery. He goes, Thou shalt hear, thou, her, thou shalt not commit murder. But if you look at, if you're angry with your brother and curse him, you are, you are guilty. See, God did not remove the law. He affirmed it. It's kind of like he took the stake of the law, he took a big hammer, and he hammered it down for more. And that's what God is doing here. He takes something that he has given to Abraham, the promise to Abraham, the promise to Isaac, and now the promise to Jacob, and he affirms it. He said, hey, I haven't forgotten about you. And I don't think that God is just there for Jacob's sake. He doesn't just take the time to give this dream and give this whole uh, uh, promise back to him because of Isaac alone, but because of the faithfulness of God, it reaches back to Abraham. I know that one of the things that the ladies were studying, the patterns in their theology class, and every time they would come back, they would be like, oh my God, the, the, the line, and if you see the trajectory of certain things, she was so amazed and how, how it plays out. You know, because God... He starts things way, way, way back there. And then through our life, we see the trajectory, and now he moves things to get us to where he wants us. And I remember being a little kid. I don't know if that's the theologically correct, but I remember being at a, at a, in Antigua, Mexico, I mean, Antigua, Guatemala, and we went to this old Catholic church, and they had these statues of Jesus crying, and you know, they, he, he had tears coming out of his eyes and stuff coming out of his hand. I remember being a little kid, we weren't raised in the church, we weren't raised Catholic or anything, you know. And I remember being in that, before that statue, crying. I must have been seven, eight years old, crying and praying to what I thought was God. And it's amazing how years later we end up in the state. My sister goes to, to school, meets a friend, the meets brings her, the friend brings her to, 
to church, and my sister dragged all of us into church. And he ran. And now I can't say that God started when my sister went to church. It started from way before. There was this burning and the desire for God ended. Again, and that's what God is reiterating, affirming to Jacob. He says to Abraham, I will make your descendants of the dust of the of the earth. To Isaac says, I will multiply your descendants as the, as the heaven, as the stars of heaven. To Jacob, he said, your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. He's just repeating what he said. You know, what Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you. So you need to pay attention to what I'm saying to you because one is not you and two, I will fulfill your word. To Abraham, he said, and, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Isaac has said, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. To Jacob he says, and in you and in all the descendants shall, I'm sorry, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I think that's an amazing thing because we're in that. We're in that promise. It says, and all of the families on the earth will be blessed. So because of God's faithfulness, because of God's long-suffering, we get to receive that blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, again, again, God is not just a God for today. He's not a God of the temporary. You know, He's not a God of the moment. We do have moments with God, but He's not the God of the moment. He's the God of the eternal. There's an eternal present where God lives. God says that He is the same today, Yesterday and forever. So there's this eternal uh, presence of God that we get to experience. And that's where Isaac, I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob experience. You know, I think one of the, the, the cool things that you see the patterns in the, in the Bible, we have God talk to Abraham and tell Abraham, hey, Abraham, you need to go. Get out of your father's house and go. To Jacob, I mean to Isaac, he tells him, hey Isaac, you need to stay. This is the land that I have for you, you need to stay. Now, Jacob finds himself running, and God said, hey Jacob, you need to come back. And I think many times that's where God has us. He has us in a place where, yes, we are going somewhere because of, you know, probably good choices that we made. You know, we came to the state because my father and my mom made a made a decision to come here. You know, now we're here, we're staying. Now, I think every generation has a call, uh, has a calling and a purpose to, to live by. And it, it, it's the responsibility of that generation to look at the journey that the family has in. You have Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. My parents made the made the decision to come here. We're here. So now the next generation says, okay, God brought us to Christ. Now the next generation has to say, okay, you know, I, I met this one guy at, at the ministry I'm involved with. Uh, he's, he's in the Midwest and he's part of a, a church or, or denomination where they've been around for, I don't have the deep roots in the state. Again, I've been here 40 some years, but we don't go that back. But these guys have been here forever. And you see the uh, the blessing that they are as a community. If one of them has a need, they make a couple of phone calls and they get what, what is needed. If someone needs a, 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 a car 
or or something they go on and they make a phone call and they take care of one another why because i think there is that generational impact that they've had and i think that's what god is here talking to jacob the, the beautiful part about jacob's and abraham and isaac's promise is that we see that that fulfillment in christ but at the same time we see the fulfillment in the book of revelation if we look at revelation 7 verse 9 it says and behold a great multitude that no one uh, could number. It told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so that will multiply like the dust, like the stars, and like the sand. And now in the, in, in the book of Revelation, John sees this great multitude that no one could number. And then it says, um, from every nation, from all tribes, and people and languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb. The promise was, said that uh, all the families shall be blessed in you. And that's, where, that's what John sees in the book of Revelation is a fulfillment of that blessing. And again, that's something future. We're looking at it in the future. That's our hope. That when Christ returns, we see that and we're there again because of what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were promised. Because of what God has done in Christ, now we have that generational blessing. And again, another thing is that I know that God has continues to bless Jacob, not just because of Jacob, but because of Abraham's uh, promise, the seed of the promise. And we continue on that. I think one of the interesting parts is he tells Jacob, to all of them, he says, I will bless you where you are. To Jacob, he says, uh, that he will keep him wherever he goes. Because again, Jacob is on the go. He's on the run. Abraham was going to, he was called. Isaac stayed. Jacob is running. But God says, you know what? I will bless you wherever you go. Because it's not the place. You know, I think a lot of us, and I don't know if you, a lot of us want to make the place uh, as important as the presence. And, and, and we see that through our lives and through our generations. I don't know if you've seen those little, I don't even know what they call, shrines where people die on the side of the road and they make these little flowers and candles and stuff. And I guess people go back there and want to, I'm not sure what the tradition behind that is, the belief. But that's what, a lot of people think, oh, this is the place. This is the, the place is what matters. No, it's not the place, but it's the presence. It's God himself. That's what matters in the midst of all of this. You know? It is God himself, not the place itself. So we continue reading. Um, but one of the things that you see is the, the, the continuation of God, of, of Abraham's, Isaac, and Jacob's generational uh, promise. Each generation sets a foundation for the next. I think as we grasp that as, as men, as fathers, as, as, as uh, people of God, that we're able to understand that we're building for the next generation. It's a foundation being set for the next generation. That we will be purposeful in what we're doing. And I think uh, as we read uh, the blessing of Jacob, I, we are reminded of the blessing of Isaac. Isaac blessed his son as well. We studied that, what, two weeks ago, I think. Isaac, 
in, in, gener in uh, Genesis 27, Isaac talks about, I mean, the Bible talks about that when Isaac blesses Jacob, and Jacob says, see, um, uh, may God give you of the dew of the heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and, and wine. Let the people serve you and the nations bow down to you and be Lord over your brother and you may, and I'm sorry, and may your mother's son bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So this is Jacob blessing his son. Jacob had learned this from his father who had learned this from God. And I think it's very important that we understand the the power that God has given us in our spoken word. And that we may be able to get to a place where we are people who bless. The Bible says, blessed are they who, uh, when we are being persecuted, when we are being um, mistreated, when we are being beat up, that we bless instead of curse. And, and there's a reason for that. Because you see Isaac's blessing upon his son and, and if you remember the importance of the, of, of the father's word that um, when Esau comes and he's trying to get a, a blessing from his father, his father said, I gave the blessing of it. I think any of us would be like, wait a minute, I mean, I have five kids, so I'm like, all right, if I bless one, I can bless the other. You know? But the importance of this word that Isaac says, I, I already bless your brother. There's nothing left for you. So I think it's important that we understand the principle here of, of being a, a people of a blessing. Being a people who, uh, who are, what the Bible says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who, who, who love it will eat its fruit. To understand that principle that our words have power. You know, and as, I think as fathers, to understand the, the role that we play in, in our culture and our generation, a lot of the stuff that's been happening lately, if you see, and if you do the right studies, you see that it's because of a fatherless nation. How it has affected the, genera the current generation. And if you do a, a long study of it, you see from the Industrial Revolution, you know, and I think it was World War II, when the mothers needed to leave the home and go into the factory and start producing stuff they needed to because of the, the national emergency, the mothers, left their children, the, or, or the fathers left the home, the mothers left the home, the children were left alone, and then we wonder why, you know, many years later we have the nation that we have. You know? Because the importance of a father's influence upon a child. And here we see the same thing with, again, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When we realize the power or the authority that we have through Christ in our spoken word towards our children and towards those under our authority, you know, I think we, we're able to make a difference in their lives. Uh, Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious, are, uh, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. As we speak these words to people, it says that it's health to the body, not just their, 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 their word. Um, one of the things that, that, that we see throughout the Bible and one of the things you, you see is, is that Father's blessing. You know, one of the things we try to do at home with, the, with, with our kids is just to do that, to be able to get to a place where we realize and we try to speak blessing upon them. 
Um, I just wrote them some examples, some blessings. I says, may God bless you with knowing your purpose. You will benefit others and the world will be blessed. To be able to speak these words into your children. Be able to speak these words into others. I think as men of God, we hold a very important place in our, in our families, in our congregation, in our communities, in our society, in our nation. That we may be able to be men who speak words of, of wisdom, words of faith, words of encouragement. To be able to take a young man, a young woman, someone, and take them and, and give them that spoken blessing. Just as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was this generational blessing that even till today, we are receiving that blessing. Not because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but because of the God we serve. It says that in, in them, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That, again, that includes us. When Jesus came and died on the cross, he didn't just die for the Israelites. He didn't just die for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their direct descendants. He came and he died for us. Why? Because we are being blessed by the promises, by the covenant made back then. So as we speak blessings to others, uh, another blessing that you may be able to speak to your children or to someone in your care says, may God bless you with fulfilling the call of God in your life and living out the fullness of his will. You know, that you are purposeful in what you do. And again, the importance of being a dad is that we may speak these words to our children. Another way we may God bless you with being led by the Spirit to respond to a problem with faith. But if we go back to the story of Jacob, that's where he's at. You know, he's at a place where God is speaking a blessing to him. God is reminding him, reiterating, affirming, confirming that blessing that he had given his son or his fathers. And that's where you find Jacob. And if we go back to the story of Genesis, and Genesis 28, 16 says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. So now imagine you, you're in the desert, you, you, you're you all scared, you're running, and now you have this wonderful dream, and now you wake up. And, and, and Jacob says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Many times we find ourselves in that place of desperation, and we don't know that God is with us. You know, uh, uh, there's a song... That it says, this is how we fight our battles. It says, when everything looks dark or we feel surrounded by the enemy, the, the song said, this is how we fight our battle because it was God who was surrounding us. It says that we're under the shadow of his wing. Sometimes what we feel that it's closing in is not just the enemy, it's the protection of God. It says that we will be like, a, like, like chickens under the wing or something like that it says in the song. You know, he, he gathers us as chicks gather, or as chickens gather their chicks under their wing, that's how God surrounds us. So Jacob finds him, he gets there in a place of desperation, he gets there, he's sleeping on a rock because of what he's done, because he's on the run, but he wakes up, he goes, wow, surely God is in this place. It's kind of like we have Jacob on the run, and now we have God's visitation. When we experience God's power, when we experience the reality of God, our perspective changes. Psalm 73, the psalmist starts with, uh, I'm looking at the prosperity of the wicked. 
and looking how they prosper, he says. And he just gives this long uh, description on how these wicked people are prospering. But then in the middle of the, of the psalm, he says, until I enter into the sanctuary of God, I understood their end. And then he starts explaining what is their end. He goes like a dream and one awakens is gone. Like a vapor, they're gone. And he says all these things because he starts realizing. But the perspective changed. Why? Because he entered into the presence of God. The same thing with Jacob. His perspective of his problem, of his uh, situation was very bleak. His head is on a rock. He's in a cold, desolate place, headed towards a place of not much hope. But God meets him. God shows himself strong. And Jacob wakes up and says, wow, surely God is in this place. And I didn't know it. His perspective changed. I think his thinking starts turning towards a different. He said, and he was afraid and said. He wasn't afraid enough not to go through the plan to deceive his brother. But do you remember when Rebecca tells him, hey, do this with, to, to, uh, 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 and go to uh, Isaac. And let's lie to him and let's have him give you the blessing instead of your brother. Jacob goes, yeah, but if uh, he finds out, he's going to curse me. So he was a little afraid. But not enough to stop him from doing the wrong thing. So now he finds in a place and that he was afraid. I think that now the fear is different. There's been a visitation, uh, a revelation, an experience with God that allows him to see things differently. That allows him to see, oh, wow, this God thing is real. I remember being in my early 20s, young, beautiful, strong, slim. I mean, I thought I had the world and I could do it, you know? And I remember my mother-in-law and my mother were praying for me. And I was in my one of my uh, rebellious streaks, you know, because again, I thought I was the man. And I remember I said to them, I'm going to prove to you I could do it without God. I challenged them. I said, I could do this life thing without God watch I'm going to prove it to you oh my God there was some sad years you know we found ourselves broke we, I had my own business we had very good days back then money wise but I found myself broke all the time I got myself in so much trouble because of the attitude of I could do this Jacob is at a place now where his perspective is changing he starts seeing things differently because now he, is, he said, wow, God is, is surely here in this place. So he said, this is none other than the house of God. Wow, I truly came to a place that I thought I was running, that I was going to be out of safety, out of deliverance, and now I'm at a place that is the house of God. I says, and this is the gate of heaven. The interesting part about that phrase, the gate of heaven, the Babylonians had many gates to heaven. The Babylonians uh, thought that there were many ways to heaven. There were many ways to God. So Jacob is specifically speaking against that belief. He said, this is truly the gate of heaven. Not all of that I learned, and a lot of, if you look at our current society, what are some of those gates or ways to heaven that we think? What are, what are the options that we are given for life when we don't have Christ? You know, we're look. Uh, we have things, uh, money, uh, fame, uh, 
relationships. One of these we were talking about. A, a lot of people are in love with the idea of being in love. You know, you, you meet, especially the, the younger generation, you know, maybe late 20s or even the teenagers, they're in love with this idea of being in love. And they pursue these things because they think that's the place to heaven. That's the place to be satisfied. That's the place where I'm going to find fulfillment. And, and that's one of the things that Jacob is speaking here. He said, well, this is surely the house of God. This is surely a gate of heaven. You know, and the interesting part is the vision of God appearing to Jacob. It says that, you know, that ladder says that angels were, were descending and ascending from it. And it's a, it's a uh, type of Christ, that ladder. As Jacob is evaluated, one of the commentaries I read, it says that Jacob is the, is, the, is the type of the church and the latter the type of Christ. And the angels are left to minister to the saints, as the Bible said, and obviously Christ is that communication that was open. One of the things the Bible talks in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, who is... Who is uh, okay, lost. Jesus the son of God let us hold fast to our confession what confession that he is Lord for we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need and that's what Jesus, Jesus is that open communication, that ladder that was set to open that divine communication between the heavens and us. And that's why it says, let us draw near. Uh, King James uses the word, let us boldly draw near to the throne of grace. You know, that we may not be afraid to draw near because of Christ. So one of the things that we look at Philippians 2, verse 8. Uh, I mean, four through eight, we see the humiliation and the exaltation of Christ. Again, it says that angels were descending and ascending. And, and again, being Christ, is, or the latter being a Christ type, that's what we see. And we see in Philippians, it says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If you read this passage, one of the, uh, uh, I'm a very visual learning learner, so I see pictures or images, whatever you want to call it. And, and what I see in this passage, I see a, a ladder. I have this graphic that, that I made up a couple years ago. And it's a, you see Jesus Christ in this ladder. He is on top. It says that he, in the form of God, this is where Jesus starts. He's up there. It says, it says, but he emptied himself. Him in the form of God, it says that God spoke from the heavens. God was above. And now God needs to empty himself from his godliness or his godlikeness to be able to step down. He emptied himself and he doesn't, did not count equality, got a thing to be grasped. It says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. In the form of God, he empties himself. Now he's in the form of a servant. He took a step or two steps down. Being born in the likeness of men, he takes another step down. 
and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He takes another step down. But wait, there's more. And he says, even death on a cross, the final step down. So we have that vision that Jacob has seen of God above, men below, but then there's a God that descends to have a relationship with us. To descends to have a... Uh, that we may have a place to go and be saved. That we may have that place that we may say, hey, come boldly before the throne of grace. So that's what you see. see Jesus Christ, he, he descends, he comes down, he lowers himself, not just to the obedient alone, but he says to the obedient to the death of a cross. Remember, the death of a cross isn't a beautiful thing as we look at it now. Now we want to wear the cross, we put crosses in our wall, we, you know, we, 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 uh, we see it as such a beautiful thing, the significance of it. But the cross back then was the electric chair, was the lethal injection, you know, was, it was just an instrument to kill someone or to kill criminals, not just someone. And it wasn't a pre-death. It wasn't like the statues that we see in museums and, you know, all the great artists from, from, from history that they made this very, uh, I don't know if the right word is effeminate looking Christ hanging on the cross with hands that have that, you know, very smooth feet that are so well polished, hair that is so nice, and you see him hanging on a cross and, you know, barely suffering. That's not the reality of the cross. The reality of the cross was a brutal instrument of death. And the, and the Bible says that God himself came down to us to end up at that place of the cross. And that's what Jacob is seeing. And that's what Jacob, God allows, um, God allows Jacob to see that vision. Um, John 1.50 says, and he said to him, said, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. God says, listen, what, he makes reference to that dream. Jesus makes reference to that, to that dream in the book of John. And, that, and that's what God does. He says, hey, I'm coming down to you, but wait, there's more. G just like Jacob's story didn't finish there, the same thing Jesus' story doesn't finish there. Jesus didn't just come down from the heaven. You know, he, he, he descended from heaven to die on a cross and died. As we well know, after death came the resurrection. And that's the reason why we gather here today. You know, because Christ didn't just die for us. The reality of what we believe, the reality of Christianity, is not that, Christ, that Jesus just died. It's that he resurrected. All the religions of the world, all the beliefs of the world, all those teachers of the world are dead. There's a tomb dedicated to them. Not for Jesus. He is alive. You know? And, and, and it says, Therefore, having known that Jesus Christ came down on the cross, says, God has highly exalted him. There was a descending, but there was also an ascending. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the reason why we gather as Christians. That's the reason why we live what we live. And that's the vision that God has given to Jacob. That he understands that, hey, Jacob, I know you are at a place of desolation. You're at a place of, of your sin has gotten a better, a better part of yourself. You know, you're desperate. You have nobody, but, but I haven't forgotten you. I'm here with you. You know, I am opening a, a line of communication between God and I. God and, 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 my, um, and, 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 and earth. And that's what he's doing in this vision. And that's what Jacob said. Wow, surely this place is the house of God. He says, surely God was here and I didn't know it. Man, I missed it. You know, if you remember um, Romans, I think it's 828. It says that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You know, we find ourselves in situation that we're like, how can any good come out of this? Jacob must have found himself at a place where he's saying, wow, how can any good come out of this? Moses found himself in a place saying, man, I'm in the backside of the desert. I messed up my life. Everything is a mess. Because remember when God comes and called Moses, God, Moses said, no, 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 you can't send me. I, I, I'm not your guy, God. I stutter. I can't speak. I, I'm not the guy. I already wrecked my life. Same thing with Jonah. He was like, I can't do this. And he went fishing. He went to eat some sushi from the inside out. And I just sit there and just grab some sushi. We went fishing with the guy the other day and we tried some raw fish from the Long Island Sound. I can't say it was the healthiest experience, but it was an experience. And that's what this guy is. That's what Jonah finds himself. You know? But again, but you, you have to remember that's not the end of the story. That is not what it ends. So now Jacob finds his place where he's having to understand that all things work together for good. One of the things that Jane and I set out to do years ago after seeing the mess of our life that we had created, we started saying, okay, God, either your word is true or you're a liar. You say all things work together for good, show us the good. So God, show us the good. We started praying and we've seen how God has made uh, a wonderful story of redemption from the message that we have made. And that's what we see in the life of Jacob. That's what we see in the life of this man who was a cheater, who was uh, conniving, deceiving, always dealing and wheeling with people. But we see a redemption of a man's story. A redemption, not of just a man's story, but we see the redemption of a generation. We see the redemption of, of, of Abraham's, or God's promise to Abraham, because of what God is doing. And now we see, after he goes through the whole thing, and understand, he said that he takes the. The, the rock or his pillow and he makes it a, 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 a it's like a pillar an altar and he, he, he pours oil over it he consecrates that place that experience that he had with God later on in um, Genesis I think 
think it's 35. He comes back and actually built an altar there. He comes back and, and, he, and he sets uh, a permanent place for God in that place. You know, but he goes, now he calls this place Bethel, which means the house of God. Yes, I got there because I thought I wrecked my life, but now I know that this is the place that God has for me. This is the place of God. You know, Jesus said that he is the door, the way, and the life. You know, so we are in the house of God and we enter through Jesus. And Jake, Bethel is a place where God changes Jacob's name to Israel later on in, 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 in Genesis 25, I mean 35. He went from being the deceiver to being the prince of God. Yes, it took him 20 years. Jacob goes from there, he goes to Haran, to Laban's house to get his wife, and then he comes back 20 years later, a changed, transformed man, and God says, you know what, I think you're ready. You're no longer Jacob, now you are Israel. You are the prince of God. And again, everything, again, goes back to the promise that he made Abraham. So, after that, you have a response from Jacob. I think all of us have the same uh, journey. As we, like I said at the beginning, we'll let's walk with Jacob, and, and we see this journey, and I think that's the same journey for all of us. We find our play, we find ourselves in a place because of the decisions we have made. We find God in His mercy and love finds us at that place, speak to us, promises to us, affirm things to us, but then there's a response on our part. One of the things that we've learned is that Christianity is not just a, I believe. The Bible says don't just be hearers. It says be doers. Again, I'm not talking about salvation. Christ alone is who saves us. You know? But because we are saved, there's a response that is expected from us. The Bible talks about um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work with fear and trembling to be saved. It says just work it out. It's kind of like a muscle. I used to have muscles, by the way. But not anymore. But, you know, it, 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 God says, hey, listen, you have this thing, work it out. Develop it. And that's what he's saying. So there's a response that is required of us. So if you, there, there's, there's two ways of uh, 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 lines of thinking in this, in this, in this passage in Genesis 28. To 22 in the response of Jacob. Jacob says, uh, and then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me the bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And, and this stone, which I have set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that I that you give me, I will give you the full 10% to you. So here there was a response from Jacob to what God was doing in his life. Again, there's two lines of thinking that I've seen here. Jacob is responding to God's goodness. And he consecrates Bethel as a house of God. Uh, he establishes I think by, by setting up the stone and pouring the oil, he established it as the house of God. He's responding. Uh, 
We tend to make vows to God when we find ourselves in fear and distress. This is where Jacob finds himself. After, remember, he said, wow, this is truly, uh, God is here, and I didn't know it. He said that he feared. And in the midst of saying, oh, man, I, I really did a lot of mistakes up to this point. You know what? Let me promise. Let me vow to God. He responds, and he says, and in the time of trouble, we make all kinds of promises because we realize uh, we, we realize we need God's favor and mercy. And that's when Jacob is responding. Oh, he, he, he's saying, okay, God, I'm gonna, I, I will do this for you. And Jacob, out of a grateful heart, makes a vow and promises, the Bible said, to set up a house for him and to give him 10% of all that God gives him. So that's one way of seeing it. The other way of seeing it is you have Jacob, a man who is immature in his faith. Remember the guy that had a sick son or a daughter in, 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 in Mark verse 9? And Jesus says, do you believe? The guy says, yes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that's where Jacob is. Yes, God, I believe that this is the house of God. I believe that you spoke to me. I believe that the visitation is true. But just in case... His nature, <clears throat> his nature was a nature of a guy who was always dealing and willing, negotiating here and there, betraying his brother, buying things that weren't his, trying to get it. If you see Jacob, Jacob's life, you know, for the next few chapters, you see him negotiating all the time. When he gets to Laban's house, that's what he does. Again, God promised all these things to Jacob, but Jacob continues to negotiate to make things happen on his own. Why could we see a man whose faith is still immature? A man whose belief system is not fully grown. Just like that man that Jesus uh, that said, please heal my daughter. And Jesus says, are, do, do you, are you willing to believe? I remember when Ali was a, was a baby. They told her that she had, oh my, I never say that word. Eskima? Eskima? That word. She had these rashes in her skin. She used to get them in her diaper area. She used to get them everywhere. And the doctor kept telling us it was eczema. And I'm like, nope, it can be. Because it only used to happen when she would eat certain things. So I remember that Jane was breastfeeding at the time. So she started doing a diary of everything that she was eating and Allie's reaction. So one of the medicines that they gave Allie was a topical cream that later on they recalled it because it, it causes skin cancer. So we're like, forget this. Why am I going to take my daughter to a doctor that's going to give me a medicine? Again, I'm not, nothing against doctors, guys. But why am I going to put my trust? It's about trust. It's not about the doctors. It's about trust. Why am I going to put my trust on my daughter's health in the hands of a doctor that's given me a cream that causes cancer? Or... Are we willing to believe? That's what this man did. That's what Jacob. Jacob, are you willing to believe, Jacob? Yeah, God, but I'll believe you. But if, he says, you bless me, I will give to you. If you prosper me, I will give you 10%. If you bring me back to my father's house. I will give this to you. When God already told him, hey, listen, wherever you go, I'll be with you. You are coming back to your father's house. He already has given him the blessing. But now Jacob, because of his unbelief, because of the immaturity of his belief, starts negotiating with God. 
And Jesus, you know, it's kind of like, can't you believe? Are you willing to venture all in God's hand? And I think that's the calling that God has for each and every one of us. We see our current situation, whether it's financial, emotional, physical, health, and it doesn't look very good. And God says, trust me, believe in me. Are you willing to put everything in God's hand and say, yes, God, I believe? Or at least, are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to say to God, God, I believe, but please help my unbelief. There's a lot more of faith that is required for this action. There's a lot more of faith that is required for my situation. God, you know my heart. Help me to believe that we may enter, as it says, to enter boldly before the throne of grace, where we find rest, help for the time of need. That we come to that place and rest. Hebrews 4 also said, uh, strive, work hard to enter into the rest. And I think that's the calling of, of that we see in Jacob's life. Hey, Jacob, you no longer have to wheel and deal. You can rest and trust God. But we see Jacob for the next 20, 40 years dealing and willing with God until he gets to that place where he believes God. He says, you know what, God? Remember later on we're going to see Jacob wrestling with the angel. And there, kind of he comes back a new man to the point where he comes out limping, completely changed by God. He's no longer Jacob, the surplanter, the healer, the heel grabber, the guy who's always wheeling and dealing. Now he's the prince of God. Who has evidence in his life of God's touch in his life. And I think that is the calling that God has for each and every one of us as individuals. Are we going to put everything in God's hand? Or am I going to continue to negotiate? Or am I going to continue to say, you know God, I know you could do this. But if I do this, will you do this for me? God wants us to get to that place of rest. And I think that's the calling that God has for us here uh, this afternoon or this morning. I don't even know what time it is. Afternoon now. You know, God wants us to get to that place where we rest in Him. Whether it's on a rock or in a my pillow pillow, you know, that our rest is restful and peaceful because of God. Not because of my wheeling and dealings and negotiation capability. But because of the Savior that we serve. Amen? Alright, let us pray. <clears throat> Father, we humbly, Lord, just come before you, knowing God that you are the God who is capable. The God who is an everlasting God. The God who uh, is a generational God. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be upon us and continue to show us your mercies in our everyday life, Father. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your long suffering, and for the things you've done in our lives, Father. Father, we praise you and we glorify you. In your name, Father. Amen. Amen. Are you closing it now? You guys are dismissed.
Anlaşıyor. <gülüyor>